Hey everyone, really quick note before we get into the episode. Today's episode is on faith tradition diversity within Side B, and our original hope had been to include four voices, uh, Reformed, Charismatic, Orthodox, and Catholic, but because of recording technical issues that we had during the recording, we were only able to get the recording of three of those voices, so we do not have a Catholic voice in this episode. I wanted to go ahead, though, and acknowledge it from the beginning because the Catholic community is a large and important part of the Side B community, and we still want to be able to have Catholic representation within our episodes, so we will be covering Catholic voices later on. Um, but we wanted to go ahead and air this episode anyway, because there was a lot of great content. We didn't want to take the chance of not giving this with you guys. Uh, but for all of our Catholic listeners out there, we see you. We plan to include more Catholic voices and talk about the Catholic perspective inside B more as we go forward. Um, but wanted to go ahead and acknowledge that from the get-go in this episode. Anyway, with that, we'll head into the episode. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Life on Side B again, where we explore the beauty, challenges, joy of living according to the traditional sexual ethic as LGBT and same-sex attracted Christians. Um, Life on Side B is a ministry of Posture Shift, which is a missiological teaching to enhance LGBT inclusion and care within the Evangelical Conservative Church. And you can learn more about that at postureshift.com and Guiding Families, their resource at guidingfamilies.com. So I am really excited. First of all, we have returning with us the Brandon Polk. Hello, Mr. Brandon. Hi, Josh. Good to be here with you again, of course, as always. Yes. For the first time ever, we have Joanna uh, Finnegan. Hello. Hi. It's so good to finally have you on here. (laughs) Been so excited to have you on. Yes. Great to be here. Yes, so good. And also, we have the lovely Greg Webb. Hi, Greg. Hey, Josh. Pleasure to be here. Oh, gosh. I'm so excited for us. You know, everyone listening, we're going to be talking about faith tradition diversity. You know, our community is a diverse one when it comes to faith tradition within Christianity, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Reformed, Charismatic. And we have everyone here coming from different traditions within the Christian faith to share about what it looks like to be side B within those traditions. Um, So I'm excited to talk with you all. Before we get to that, I do have a few announcements I want to share with all of our listeners and watchers on YouTube. Um, First of all, remember everyone, we have our live episode coming up on April 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern where the co-hosts are gonna talk about the sides terminology. Is this a good like system? Is it not? Is there a better system? Is there not? What do we do? All of those things. Please join us. There is a Google form on all of our social media. It will be also in the um, episode description of this episode. Also, if you send in your information, it's just gonna ask for your name and your email. You won't receive a confirmation email right after. So, but understand we have your information because I had a few people ask, like, did you get it? We got it. You'll get information the day of. So don't worry. Don't worry. That's all coming. 
that's actually my only that's that's my only announcement. All I, right. I, I think I want a second announcement now. You promised announcements. I, I promised announcements. I need a second one. Make it up. I mean, those are two. Okay. Episode. <laughs> no notification till day. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Sign the Google form. Sign, and announcement yes. number two, you will not get. You will not be getting a confirmation till day of. Yeah, That's so really it. there are That's three it. announcements, but we do have your information. Yes, thank you. See, Brandon, love it. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, with that, y'all, um, I guess to start us off, I would love if each of you could give us a brief overview of your background. With like, first of all, like what faith tradition within Christianity do you come from? Um, what is kind of your background in it? How did you arrive there? What's been your experience uh, as a sexual minority? And I know that's a lot. We can't have each introduction be like 30 minutes. So like short intro of those kinds of things. Um, well, since Brandon, since you've been on before, do you want to start off a little bit? Sure. You want me to talk about my own announcements where- um... There you go. So my uh, faith background, uh, Baptist, Black Baptist turned Bapticostal, if that helps. Uh, it's a lot of mixed terminology, but when I was in uh, mm -hmm. college, uh, really when I was in high school, I had my first uh, really encounter with charismatic Pentecostalism. And so I've sort of been in that world for a while, you know, but um, those folks who know me well enough will recognize that I sort of float in SBC, PCA, um, uh, anything, anywhere kind of works, you know, so long as the people are making Jesus preeminent, that helps, you know, Amen. the body's the body. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of like identifications and story and things like that, I said this before when we did the podcast, uh, last year, which is, you know, how, sh how shall one identify? It's really difficult for me. So I just say, I am me. And, um, Fine, if people want to use the shorthand of gay or bi or something, right? If that's helpful. But the reality mm -hmm. is that it's much more complicated than that. So I want people to always ask me, you know, sort of uh, for the texture of what the story mm -hmm. means. Um, it's just words are limiting. I don't mind that people use them, but they're just limiting. So that's a it's, it's an uncomfortable answer, but I give it deliberately in that way. Yes, absolutely. And so, like, well, well within that, like, how? Well, I guess you talked about that you arrived you arrived there because this is the tradition you've been born in. Can you give a little bit of a synopsis of kind of what has been your experience being sexual minority in those realms of? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think the main experience to say, and I'll be pithy, um, which means succinct, which means not long, which means not verbose, which is not what I'm doing at the moment. So for all you listeners out there, um, <laughs> very very conservative, but not very open to the conversation. And I know as a young believer, I didn't really have a lot of leadership or mentorship on how to navigate through this subject matter. You know, I was more mm. accustomed to folks talking about the gifts of the spirit and, you know, worship was hot, worship was live, that was a thing. But, um, you know, the causal issues, you know, were on abortion or, you know, things like that, you know, um, but sin in general was a little taboo and particularly issues of 
sexual orientation or sexual anything, you know, were causes for disintegration, isolation within oneself. They would be like the, the, the scarlet letter or the scarlet whatever you want to call it on the back of a person, yeah. on the front of a person, you know. So just there, yeah. there, there, there wasn't really an open space where we talk about, you know, that experience. And um, so it took um, someone, actually a mentor of mine, you know, who, who noticed something, heard the Lord was discerning and just approached me about it. And um, and that happened a couple times. And that was really helpful, you know, for being able to, you know, start the healing process and really a journey to deconstruction, reconstruction. And so, yeah, so it's, it's been, it's been, yeah. a, it's been a good journey. So, so far for me, I don't have a lot of trauma, but I don't have a lot of um, easy disclosures that I could speak to. Mm. So, yeah, that makes sense. Thank that makes sense. Thanks for sharing. Sure. Absolutely. Joanna, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, I guess I'd identify my tradition as reformed evangelical, although evangelical is kind of, you know, eh. um, I haven't read yeah. Jesus and John Wayne yet, so maybe I would not want to touch the term with a 10 foot pole <laughs> if I had, but, uh, you, you know, sort of being old and slow, I'm still don't worry. I haven't read it using it. <laughs> I'm, I'm still sort of so I, I don't know what the I don't know what another word is. But, um, mm -hmm. uh, so I was actually uh, led to faith in Christ by charismatic ex gays. So a different tradition <laughs> altogether. Um, okay. But when I became a Christian uh, in college through their ministry, uh, the the campus fellowship I hooked up with was kind of. Well, it was reformed in flavor. It, it wasn't an RUF, but it was kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, and those were the, that's where I found my home. Those are the people who, you know, discipled me, showed me what it meant to, to love Jesus. And so they just sort mm -hmm. of imprinted on me. Um, they also had a, a reading list of recommended reading for students that I, you know, being kind of a nerd, devoured wholeheartedly. So, you know, lots of Calvin, Spurgeon, Owen, Augustine, all that good stuff. Uh, and so that kind of formed me. Um, I, I am currently a member of a PCA church, which is Presbyterian Church in America. I ended up there uh, when my then boyfriend, now husband, Tim, uh, moved to Ohio. Uh, we didn't have any church leads because neither of us knew anybody in the area. So he was like, where should I go to church? And I was like, well, you know, I think the PCA is is Tim Keller's church. And, you know, he seems pretty smart and, you know, pretty passionate about the gospel. So mm -hmm. his denomination can't be all bad. Um, you know, we quickly discovered that South Dayton is not exactly the same as Manhattan. Uh, and so, There are differences. <laughs> our church was not exactly Redeemer Presbyterian. Um, but, you know, gracious, passionate for Jesus, loves truth, not defensive, uh, you know, seeking to love God and love one another well. So, you know, that's where, you know, we made our, our where he made his church home when he moved out here and where I made my church home with him when I joined him. So we've sort of been there since. I'd say overall, it's been a it's been a positive experience uh, up until recently when it got more complicated. Um through events I believe we will be discussing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I 
I mean, it sort of, it makes things different coming to faith when you're, you know, you're an out dyke and you're 20. Mm. Um, you know, there's no question of whom, you know, who am I going to tell? You know, I mean, I had a, I had a three, a three sixteenth inch buzz cut and a leather jacket and Doc Martens and guys jeans. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, oh gee, you know, should I tell them I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit queer. Um, so I've, I kind of almost want photos. <laughs> I'm literally saying the same thing to myself right now. I would love photos and we need to put them in the show notes, please put them in the show. Notes. That would be amazing. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so I've never, the, the closet has never really been much of a thing. Um, there was a season when I talked about it a little less, uh, but it's always, I've always been pretty open with anyone I'm even slightly close to. Um, and the church is mostly, oh, like, I was up until sort of the pre-revoice excitement in 2018, uh, I would say that the church's response had been overwhelmingly positive experiences. Yeah. Uh, things got a little more complicated, um, but yeah, overall I've, and, and, but even there on a personal level, you know, they'll be like, Ugh, revoice, but you know, we, we love you. We trust you, you know, mm-hmm. it's more of an issue with the concept. Than yeah. Like and because they don't know it. Right. It seems mm-hmm. foreign. It seems weird. You know, and I'd be like, you know, if you saw these, you know, you, you trust me because you see me, you go to church with me, you know, you mm-hmm. watch me dealing with my kids, you know, when they're being difficult. Uh, you know, you let me teach your kids Sunday school, you know, you, you know, me, you don't, if you saw these other people, the way you see me, mm. they're just, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, just like me, you know, they're not some like, weird boogeyman with an agenda, you know, anyway, so that's, but that's it, good. That's yeah. personally positive. I appreciate that. Yeah. Greg, what about you? Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I was born and raised in actually the East Orthodox church. And normally people think you have to be like Greek or Russian or something like that. I actually, both my parents came from a, actually like a, a reformed PCA background. Um, my mom actually was really involved in like Campus Crusade in college. Uh, my dad got really into Francis Schaeffer towards the end of college. He spent some time at Labrie in Switzerland and then the Netherlands, uh, hanging out with Frank, um, senior, not junior, I should clarify. Uh, my mom was a missionary with Wycliffe Bible Translators in the Philippines for a couple of years. And then she realized she wanted to get married and that wasn't going to happen on a remote island in the Philippines. So uh, she came back stateside, uh, married my dad. And at that point, they were both kind of on a similar faith journey. Um, and so they both converted a couple of years before I came around. Um, and so, yeah, it's the tradition that I've been born and raised in uh, throughout my life. I was, I say I was baptized in a Greek church. I was raised in a Romanian church. I, my parents helped start what's called an Antiochian parish, which is going to be a little bit more kind of more Americans, but also traditionally uh, more people from a Middle Eastern background. So I went to a summer camp with a bunch of Palestinians, Lebanese and Syrian kids. Um, it's one of the few Christian summer camps you could go to where there's just Palestinian flags hang out of cabins and kids who mm. have free Palestine t-shirts. Um, and so it was definitely a unique experience as kind of like the white uh, homeschool kid. 
Um, yeah, and then throughout my time, I've, I've continued to be involved in the Orthodox Church. Um, I've been, when I was younger, I was an altar boy, uh, but then when I uh, was like 14 or so, I started singing. And so in well, most of the traditions- I can totally imagine you as an altar boy. I know, it's really easy. <laughs> I do really well with like a complete like skirt kind of, cl- I don't know, cassock, I guess we would call it. Um, <laughs> yes. I was only kicked out of the altar a handful of times as a kid. Uh, typically fire was involved, um, but yeah, we had lots of fun. I mean, like I was kind of like a slightly ADD kid growing up. I still can be a little bit. And so it was always helpful for me to like have a task or a purpose or a thing to do. Um, and so that switched to music. And so I did Byzantine chant, which is one of the two kind of main music traditions in the Orthodox world. Um, and then, yeah, I was involved. I've always kind of been really evangelical in my faith. Uh, partly that's reflective of both my parents' backgrounds with their faith. Um, neither of them would say that like they weren't a Christian until they became Orthodox. Both of them would say that for them, their like walk with Christ began like in college or even before mm-hmm. that. Uh, but yeah. for them, becoming Orthodox was kind of like moving into the fullness of that faith in their practice. Um, and so for me, like I've often looked in uh, outside the Orthodox church for a lot of like friendships in my community, uh, particularly in college, I was uh, at a small Greek church in my college town. And so there was like always maybe a small handful, like two, three, four uh, other college students there. Uh, but when I first started there, I was basically it at that point. Um, and so I very early on knew that I was going to get involved at some extent in broader kind of campus ministries. And so mm-hmm. I got connected a little bit with RUF at the time, but for the most part, my kind of core ministry throughout my four years of college uh, was a local ministry through a local EPC, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, called Veritas. Um, and so not not to be confused with the Veritas Forum, which is its own thing, just one college <laughs> campus ministry in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, yes. So yeah, I uh, did the whole like Bible study small group thing with a group of guys throughout four years of college. Um, and then I did a three-year master's degree at a Reformed Presbyterian Seminary in counseling at Covenant in St. Louis. And so again, just kind of like all over kind of particularly mostly hang out in general evangelical kind of reform circles. Uh, so I'm mostly... Uh, I am a good chameleon, I would say. And so I can easily like pass as evangelical. I can like name mm-hmm. the right people and like things like that. I can sing along with like 80% of the worship music you'll hear. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but then every Sunday, like I'm in my own parish and it's just like a completely different universe. Uh, you like, I've got clean, are... give me clean hands memorized, y'all. Exactly. Don't exactly. worry. <laughs> uh, no, I got this. I got this. Um, I, I only once helped sing at chapel at a Reformed Presbyterian Seminary. And it was just because they needed somebody to hit the notes for Oh, uh, oh Holy Night for the Christmas one. And so I got to do Oh Holy Night. Um, <sighs> but yeah, it was kind of, yeah. So I've, I've been in the Orthodox Church. I belong to a more American Russian Orthodox Church here in the city of Chicago. Um, I've been there for, this will be almost five years now. Um, and so, but the bulk of like my friendships uh, have always been kind of all over the place, uh, largely kind of PCA, yeah. Anglican, uh, Catholic world. Um, so yeah, uh, as far as like how that all connects with like my sexuality, um, the Orthodox Church is 
dodged some of the more kind of standard evangelical hangups sometimes. So there's never a huge deep dive into like ex-gay world, even though that still has been influential in some circles. Um, and part of that was not like out of like some willful intent or rejection of ex-gay stuff. It was mostly just that like all the ex-gay people were really like not orthodox. And so like we're just, we weren't reading uh, Nicolosi and like all of the people, the rest of the evangelicals seem to have been reading at the time. Um, so like dodge some of those bullets, like my first experience with like a, a Christian dating book wasn't until college, holding hands, holding hearts. Uh, it was really great to hear about okay. as a single celibate gay kid. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as in my church, uh, I've been pretty out and open um, for a while now. Um, I started actually publicly blogging like tail end of my junior year of college. So back in 2011, if that doesn't age me or youth me, I don't know which direction you want to come from. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of in this unique situation where like I've been pretty out. I did my first kind of speaking gig in an Orthodox gathering back like 2011, 2012. Um, so it doesn't, there wasn't like a huge coming out moment for me um i literally think i have two or three blog posts out in the universe called coming out orthodox literally i think there's volume one and volume two um so yeah um yeah i've never received overt rejection kind of within the orthodox community um thank god uh it's definitely i've experienced some friction some pushback um but largely the orthodox world at this point is just kind of very stuck on the matter you kind of have two really intense polarizing sides both kind of pulling in opposite directions and so the middle ground is kind of dangerous territory and so it's seen as a concession to either side so that's largely been my kind of contemporary experience where i'm out at my parish like my priest hasn't had an issue with me um and like i'm not the only queer person at my church um mm. but uh more broadly in the broader orthodox world uh, there's a lot of not even overt like pushback, uh, just kind of, yeah, a lot of kind of tension without any sense of resolution and kind of being a moderate person. Um, yeah, I know that jumps into another yeah. question, so we can leave it there. Well, yeah, I know. And we have a few questions for all of you guys, but the one question I'd like to jump ahead to kind of as we now know a little bit about everyone's background you know I, I think one of the things having a review here together shows is that like we can literally find side b christians throughout christian traditions like you can find them throughout everywhere and um it really makes the side b community very diverse especially when you come to places like revoice or like retreats of the community or these different kinds of things um one of the things is is then just like how how do you think we as within our community are it can support each other coming from such different you know um diverse backgrounds from orthodox to catholic to reform to evangelical like what are some of the ways you feel even just within our own community before we get to like some of those things of how does our church help us or how does our our thing help us how do we help each other um, I guess since Greg, since you were just talking, do you have any initial thoughts on that you'd like to start us on? I think for me, one of the big kind of benefits of kind of being in more side B spaces is that it has kind of pushed me outside of maybe my more natural kind of denominational bubble. 
Um, and it's like forced me to interact and not just like, and not just interact in like a, like, okay, like they're valid or things like that. But in the sense of like uh, my personal spiritual life has been very shaped by a lot of particularly like side B authors and speakers who were not within my religious, my particular Mm. denominational tradition. Um, and so, so much of my personal kind of walk has been influenced by that kind of ecumenical nature of kind of side B spaces. Um, I maybe have gotten a bit more of a crash course in PCA politics and maybe Anglican <laughs> politics than I ever had thought coming into this conversation. Um, oh, haven't that. we all? Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even uh, think I had thought about the Anglican church. I'm so sorry to all the Anglicans <laughs> out there, but I had barely thought about the Anglican church before all I of this. I didn't know that there was a problema. I did not know. <laughs> So yeah, uh, and so I think for me, just even kind of like, not only just kind of bumping into each other, like at a conference where you just happen like, okay, well, there's some Catholics over there and they're like, but the because we are such kind of a small community, there is a lot of need to not just like be in the same spaces with each other, but to actually be really positively kind of influenced by each other's kinds of spiritual backgrounds and their mm-hmm. histories. Um, and so you kind of, yeah, so I, I think, uh, I know uh, I'm, I'm good friends with the worship director of Revoice, and I know it's always been uh, a challenge trying to thread the needle Ooh. between the high church, the low church. Uh, you get comment cards every year that are basically like, we had way too many hymns, we need more Hillsong. Or like, this was way too much like Hillsong, what happened to the liturgy? Like, And so like, we fortunately don't have to try to hold that tension entirely ourselves. Uh, but I do think it is representative of that aspect of like, we're bringing kind of so many of these perspectives and experiences with worship. And so it helps to kind of, I think, be gracious, to be open to kind of learning from each other and each other's backgrounds and experiences and acknowledging that like to make a space where, where any of us can kind of come together and have any form of worship together is going to require some concessions and some kind of movement outside of our bubbles. So for me, like there's definitely theological ways where it can impact the theologies that we have. And like, whether you're Catholic and you have a stronger theology of the body versus reformed and much more covenantal or or Orthodox, which is much more sacramental, like we can get into those differences too. And those have positive impacts. But for me, the kind of personal aspect is just, Kind of being in that space and doing just life not just kind of like awareness but actually like life in the nitty-gritty praying with people who are not from the same faith tradition as you mm, that's good yeah i know david gill was on the last episode and so if he's listening i'm sure to your comment he was probably going yes 100 percent um yes. joanna do you have any thoughts on this question um well, along the lines of what Greg was saying, you know, just very much uh, recognizing the importance of, of, of learning from each other and, you know, benefiting uh, from what folks in different uh, traditions uh, have learned through, you know, walking with God with their sexuality. Uh, I've learned so much from, from Eve Tushnet, even though in some ways, uh, Mm-hmm. Her particular kind of Catholicism is is very different. You know, I remember once she was writing, you know, what helps me most when I'm really struggling with gay stuff is, you know, Eucharistic adoration, the sacrament of confession and saying the rosary. And I was like, 
you know, none of those mean any, you know, I don't I mean, think not, any of those. Right. It's like, <laughs> what? You know, but yet she could write about, you know, other things, you know, her experience of surrender or um, be uh, being helped to see how God loves us from observing uh, other gay people. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for us to see that God loves them and then mm-hmm. extrapolate that to ourselves sometimes. Uh, so sorts of insights like that, where, you know, I could totally write her off as like, that's totally a different religion from what I have. Uh, but, you know, if you stop and listen, uh, there's there's so much, so much there. And, you know, not just Eve. She's just one example that jumped to the top of my head. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing I would say is uh, we've got to, I think part of the trouble is when people get sort of grabby and demanding because they want the side B community to be their church. Mm. And because of that, they have sort of an impulse to want to control it and make it the way they like it. Uh, So I think it's really important that we, to the extent we can, I understand there's all kinds of barriers and hindrances and challenges based on your tradition, but to the extent we can, you know, let's try to put down roots in our own traditions so we can come into ecumenical space and you know be sort of open and generous with each other you know and not be like you know i have to have my hymns or or what have you anything like that i i love what you said about like we cannot look for the side b community to be our church i think that that's such a wise like statement and something so many things something we can all look at that from brandon any thoughts from you to wrap this up about this question sure i I think so. I mean, and maybe <clears throat> mine will be a little bit more um, counter, you know, um, mm-hmm. not counter. I, I'm, not, I'm never, I'm never, never quite <laughs> counter, <laughs> countercultural as one would <laughs> No, what everyone said, you know, has, has been great. You know, I, I think um, there are, there are several diverse streams, paradigms of people coming in, you know, to, quote unquote, the side B community, right? And I think, mm. um, like I've said before, language is really limiting and we are people, just humans, we tend to attempt to make meaning out of things we don't understand. Um, mm. And I think that Joanna is 100% right. Like we are prone to make meaning out of something. We are prone to make a community that has side B and then Christian after it into a version of what we think our Christian community should be like, oftentimes in projection from the pain that we've experienced as the people Mm -hmm. going through X, Y, and Z scenario as queer people. The challenge with with that is that, and this is the main challenge probably that, that you'll probably ever hear me say, I don't do a lot of criticism. I'm not indicting anything or anyone. I'm not that judgy. Um, Greg thinks I'm a little judgy, but I'm I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little judgy. Is that um, oftentimes in our debate on what the culture of side B Christianity should look like, we forget to actually make preeminent the personhood of Christ over all of it. Ooh. And it really does frustrate me beyond everything. Not because I'm frustrated with our humanity, like we're broken and we have to come to a place that is um, uh, that is a healing stream for us, you know, but the side yeah. B community, whatever that is, is, is not a, a, um, a, 
a a pond um, or a stream in and of itself that has all of the ingredients necessary to facilitate the healing for every person because the side B community is filled with humans, the thing that actually will make that healing stream possible is when we actually make Jesus everything on top of it all, right? Um, yes. And we have a challenge with that because we can get hyper-consumed with the pain and hyper-consumed with the story and honestly hyper-stuck in lamenting and never actually make it to breakthrough. And mm -hmm. those of us that need to be healed are also the ones that are called to be healers. And we miss that calling most of the time because we are um, like facilitating one another's perpetual pain and staying on the hamster wheel of whatever that thing is, whatever that memory is, whatever that thought is. And I think that the mm -hmm. gospel is, has to be much more powerful than that. At least that's my experience. And I would love, this is my Pentecostal side, like what I want is like a revelation for church. And I want a revelation mm -hmm. for side B community that's completely, absolutely whacked out and consumed on the beauty and the wonder and the worthiness of God mm -hmm. without any competition of his, you know, like we shouldn't be carrying anything, not even our own pain that's in competition with what his glory is doing in us, you know? And mm. my Bible says, any man that would seek to save his life will lose it. Any man that will seek to, you know, that will lose his life for my sake will gain eternal life, right? Um, John 15, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. You know, these types of mm. things we are like, okay, that sounds great for everybody else, but we think that because our story is this, it doesn't apply to us sometimes, you know? This mm. stuff is painful and it's executive level stuff to actually surrender our lives in a way in which the gospel calls us to when we're living in a culture that actually is so painful and doesn't understand a lot of the dimensionalism, um, a lot of the um, nuance about what it means to be living in this way. But I say that with extreme optimism and and um, and uh, possibilism, meaning that I believe all of like anything is possible here, that yeah. anyone who would find themselves a part of this community, quote unquote, right, um, has all of the potential and all the ingredients that they need for being healers of those that need to be healed. But we have to actually mm -hmm. volunteer into surrendering what we think that's supposed to look like and what our lives are supposed to look like, you know, um, mm -hmm. given the challenges that are there, you know, so how do we support each other? We make Jesus preeminent above everything else. And we make that accountability possible. Um, James 517 type, type of accountability when we pray for one another and confess our sins one 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 to another, that we do it in a way that leads us to healing, um, not in a way that keeps us stuck in our pain and keeps us stuck in sin. That's so good. And you know, Brandon, I'd love to ask, have you start with our next question, because I think what you're saying totally still applies there is like, as we've made references to the PCA and to the Anglican, you Bless know, them. church and what has happened, it, you know, it seems like every single year there's a new statement coming out from a denomination about LGBT issues and we go, were we asking for these? I don't know. Maybe we were. Um, they can really? be good. They can be bad. Um, like, how do you feel like, especially as that, like, so that we don't get stuck in our pain and we can move to center on Jesus and everything, everything that you were just saying, like, how have you handled like these kind of statements? Um, how, how does it affect it? How do you feel like we, we, can move as these kind of statements come out, especially when it's like our own denomination, like for Anglicans, especially like, for instance, for me, the Anglican church one doesn't really affect me. I'm not Anglican, but I feel for my Anglican brothers and sisters. Yeah. When those happen, same with the PCA, if my denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance were to put out a statement, I'd probably have some issues. Um, 
So whether for the people that are in that denomination when it happens, or just the pain, like how do we move even some of the stuff that you're saying there? What what are your thoughts on that? I tell y'all, I'm not going to like my answers to this, but I, I think <laughs> that in, in a lot of ways, I have no problem with denominationalism at all. I have no problem with non-denominational denominationalism, you know, because that exists. Um, yep. <laughs> the the issue for me, you know, on on this question, um, Josh, is um, is that religion will kill us, you know, like mm. all of this fair, pharisaical type of you know stuff where people are parsing over words, and um, I seem to remember the Pharisees coming to Jesus, telling him that it, you know, it, trying to catch him. Is it? It's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath, correct? And then Jesus, as astute as he is, intelligent carpenter, as as he um, is and shall always be, um, says, hey, there's a man lying in a ditch <laughs> because it's the Sabbath. Do you heal him or do you let him die? You know, just because it's the Sabbath, of course, right? So, of course, of course, you go and you and you heal this like guy, you know, um, that's in a ditch and hurting, right? All of these statements, as far as I'm concerned, are the intellectual exercises of, generally speaking, people who are not connected. I think that maybe they're well-meaning. I can't speak to their character, but I can speak to the fact that it doesn't it doesn't have an impact on whether or not I I can heal the man in in the ditch, or whether or not I can be the good Samaritan to my neighbor. Um, it, it doesn't have any effect on the 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 reality of the worthiness of Christ. That doesn't mean that. I want to turn my eye towards some of that stuff that is hurtful and really painful, you know, for other people. But I also don't want us to fixate on things that we can't change all of the time, you know. And uh, Josh, you make a good point. We've been navigating through this for years. You know, there's one statement after another, another statement after another. And those statements are not for us. Those statements are for the people who are in the denomination, not struggling with whatever it is that they think they need to tell us about, you know? And um, I, I don't remember someone taking a poll on my experience. I don't remember anyone coming and interviewing me. And I know the people, right? Like they can come and, but they can certainly look at my social media profiles and write articles about us. Like they can do that, mm -hmm. right? And make us, you know, and make a lot of assumptions, a lot of judgments. And the thing is, these are critics. And they sit in a critic's chair, you know, but they're not the protagonist in the movie of my life. So I have to decide what kind of. Yeah, I have to decide yeah. what kind of hero I'm going to be, you know, what kind of person, what kind of life I'm going to live, you know. Yeah. So that's just the encouragement. But that gets to your other question about we have to be equipped to apply healing bomb, you know, to one another's wounds while also holding one another accountable, you know, to be the healers. Right. That are also not just receiving and as as part of our community but also ones that are um that are um healing and commissioning and laying hands on other people you know as um agents of of the lord and ambassadors of christ in our in our own way right now so but that's mm -hmm. i know that's not i know that puts everybody between a rock and a hard place because i'm like yeah i'm not trying to make it easy for people who are hurting to stay hurt and I'm not trying to make it people for I'm not trying to make it easy for the people that are doing the hurting to not be called out on what they're doing. You know, I want mm -hmm. I don't like zero zero sums or false choices. We can do both. Um, and it's our responsibility, you know, as individual believers um, in, in a community to make sure that we're living to the expectations of the Great Commission. Um, um, communion is a thing. Communion with God is a thing. And we should pursue that. no matter what. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for 
Right. Y'all didn't I get mad. You didn't get mad at me. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, so Greg, kind of going yes. off of that, you know, because I would love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, Brandon and I both come from more evangelical, you know, perspectives where the institutional church does not hold as much authority over life. Like coming sure. from an organism, a denomination, like a church tradition where that does hold much more sure. authority. How has, how have you dealt with these kind of like statements? So I will start by, so yes. So I think to answer that, so for context, uh, the Orthodox church is hierarchical. So we have bishops. Um, we, unlike the Catholic church, do not have a single Pope. And so we don't have one person who authoritatively speaks for the entire denomination. So for good or for bad, if you're kind of in a Catholic practice, like a lot of it is just dependent on what the Pope is saying at a given moment. Um, and so for, for me, so part of that is nice because there's less of like the head of the Russian church can say ridiculous things in Russia and it have absolutely no actual direct impact on me or my particular parish. Um, yeah. But yeah, but, but I think speaking to that though, like, it is the reality that like, I, in a hierarchical tradition, I am ultimately called into obedience, both to my priest and to my priest, likewise with his bishop. And there is kind of like this apostolic succession in the sense of like, it isn't just me kind of off on my own reporting back occasionally, but I can kind of do whatever without accountability. Um, I function pretty independently uh, for good or for bad. I am not good at running things I do by my clergy in that sense. There are definitely some people who like, like things like doing this, they would like first like check in with their clergy. That's never been me. That's never been my background or experience. Um, mm. And so I haven't had big statements in the Orthodox church. Um, what you'll get is you'll get like sermons preached by one person somewhere uh, that kind of causes waves. And then, so you end up with like the Twitter spiral um, and I do also acknowledge that like one of the more outspoken kind of critics of kind of a, some of said B spaces has been like Roger and Rod is Orthodox. Um, and I have to figure out how to put him in there somewhere uh, in kind of that messy family, so to speak. Um, yeah, so I do think that there is like, for me interacting with side B spaces, like for me, like, my church, my parish, my priest, like that's where I receive the sacraments. That's where I worship. That's where I have liturgy. That's where I have the Eucharist. I have confession. Like all of these things for my spiritual benefit are given kind of through my church, my parish, my larger Orthodox context. And so I think part of it with that um, is that like I there there is something to be said for like when I leave kind of that space and I do enter into non-Orthodox spaces and circles and I worship with Protestants and I have to like figure out all of those dynamics. Um, yeah. That is a challenge sometimes for me and it is unusual. Uh, I'm definitely not the only Orthodox person inside B spaces, mm -hmm. not at all. Um, I have many I have good friends all Do over. You Yes. Do you ever feel more at home with side B Catholics or side B Protestants? 
than with other Orthodox or with side B Orthodox? No, like, so, because, I mean, as you said, you're not the only Orthodox side Beer. Correct. But obviously, I, I would say this: the Orthodox side B sure. community is probably smaller than the Catholic. Correct. I... Yeah. No, not specifically, you would think. I think for me, a lot of it has been that because I honestly don't, I haven't, like, Catholicism has probably been the denomination I've had the least direct experience with. Uh, and so, um, and so for me, it has largely been reform circles. So I feel very okay. at home in kind of like a PCA reformed EPC you went to kind of environment. Yeah, as well. because I have 30 hours of reform systematic theology <laughs> that mm -hmm. I paid for. Um, and yeah. so... Like, because of that, like, I am always going to be more familiar. A lot of my closest friends kind of in this uh, side B world are not necessarily from similarly high church backgrounds. Uh, I will say there's at least typically at least some understanding. Um, but some of that's come about because I am such a chameleon that I have, I am able to blend in really easily. And so I don't, the barrier to entry to understand, like, I make it very low just because like I can speak the language. Like you don't have to figure out Orthodox polity to figure out how to like interact with me or my experience. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is. Yeah. So just because you're high church or that's like your background or your experience or your side being Catholic, I will say like for me, relationship and friendship and other things in common do kind of almost play a bigger role than just because you come from a similar like high church sacramental experience. Um, yeah. But I mean, I know that you really haven't had statements on this. I just feel like I have to mention this. I wouldn't, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be a good interviewer if not. Wasn't it a Korean Orthodox priest who said that he thought the COVID like vaccine would Correct. turn you gay? Correct. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> who later got COVID? Who later got COVID? Yeah. I, thought I did that not hear it. this. Did he really? <sighs> So, okay. <laughs> so, I haven't caught it. I part don't of have this, it yet. Part of this so maybe is... I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I get my first shot tomorrow and still haven't had it. Mm -hmm. um, Great. I, Great. I, I will, okay. The big asterisk. <laughs> so, globally, the Orthodox Church is the second largest Christian group in the world. Um, and so you get there's a lot of diversity within the orthodox world because it's not yes. uniform in the way that the catholic church is you don't have rome kind of dictating the general vibes of the rest of the global orthodox world a lot of orthodox historically orthodox countries are maybe not the same countries that we would generally see on the forefront of a lot of kind of the self-expressions yeah. that kind of conversation mm -hmm. yeah. russia greece lebanon poland. syria poland is it in poland no yeah it's a bit mm -hmm. albania okay. romania uh serbia those are like orthodox yeah i apologize i need to correct myself poland is more catholic not orthodox. correct I apologize. correct yeah. um okay so yeah I, I just, so there's lots stuck of in my brain say lots of things and they're definitely I know. and they're definitely i mean like the heads of a lot of those countries like there's the orthodox track record outside of the u.s on human rights particularly around lgbt stuff is just bad i will acknowledge that yeah. it's actually like makes some really charismatic u.s-based pastors seem 
kind of calm and reasonable sometimes. Um, I mean, and some of that's culture because even in is. my own denomination, when I have visited pastors of my own denomination in other countries, I have gotten the question, can I catch homosexuality if I'm around mm -hmm. a homosexual? Like, can I catch it? I've had them ask that. Mm -hmm. it, it's sometimes, it's culture yeah. um, and exposure um, sometimes. So and not, do, do they I, know about you when they ask that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's why they asked it. That's why they asked it. Yeah. They're like, I really want to hang out with you. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Six feet yeah. social distancing. But yeah. I just don't want to get the gay COVID. I don't want to get the gay yeah. COVID. <laughs> I don't want to catch uh, it. I want to catch um, it. Joanna, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Greg. If you had something else you wanted to share, then no. Um, uh, Joanna, do I you did, have? Go all ahead. I did want to finish real quick. Sorry, is just to acknowledge uh -huh. the fact that you, yes, the Orthodox Church is definitely messy. I eye roll all the time about it, but the benefit is that some kind of like slightly off kilter head of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church in Ukraine, literally. The country is the extent of his impact and authority. Yeah. Um, and so not unlike and I didn't, maybe the CMA, where like yeah, well, and I didn't share that to country. somehow like okay. poke at the Orthodox Church, but it oh, just no. suddenly stuck in my mind. I was like, wait, and I googled it while we were sitting I will, here. I, was like, I will gladly give you that list. <laughs> okay. Uh, you want to poke? Yeah. But anyway, uh, absolutely. Joanna, I feel like of all of us, you're the one who has been in a denomination when a statement has been made. And like, obviously it's been a hot topic. Um, like, how do you deal with that? Um, well, first I wanna just, um, I don't know how the Anglican stuff works, um, mm -hmm. but in the PCA, none of this is really binding. You know, it, it affects okay. the denomination, um, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, at one point, I think in General Assembly in, I guess, 2019, you know, they voted to I can't remember the exact wording, but I think it was, you know, to commend the Nashville statement to the denomination as a biblically faithful statement. Well, you know, that doesn't really have What's a lot that? of, that yeah, doesn't really have a yeah. lot of downstream direct impact. Um, yeah. the, the actual document that the, that the PCA has produced was the, the ad interim committee's report on sexuality um, which is like 40, 45 pages. Um, and again, that is just something that this year or is being presented to the denomination, you know, the denomination receives it in some sense, but it's, it's limited it's limited in what it actually means, you know? Now, I don't know if it's like the Anglican situation is different because I think they're more hierarchical, but mm -hmm. you know, as it is, nobody in my church, except for the, you know, me and the tiny handful of, you know, people who like to get excited about these things on the internet are paying any attention, you know, like yeah. nobody's read this thing. Um, and so it doesn't, at least in terms of my interaction, uh, with other Presbyterians on the ground, it doesn't really have an impact. Um, 
that being said, uh, I did read it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of stuff I agree with. There's some stuff I disagree with and find very infuriating. Um, Mm -hmm. What's hard is that the PCA right now, and I don't know this for sure, but my sense is that, you know, in a church where there's a lot of conflict over this um, and a lot of fear uh, and a lot of understandable uh, frustration and concern about, you know, the way certain elements in our culture have changed, um, it's, you know, I think it's admirable to try to to try to pursue unity where it's possible, but I think it's it's always a there's a difficult question there, right? About well, who are we going to try to get on board? You know, who's important, who's not important, uh, and how long can we keep how long can we keep doing that and focusing on that uh, rather than you know the sort of the actual pastoral matters at hand, right? With all these statements they all want to talk about language a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of us really we're so think that's beyond a pressing that. issue. I know. It's not like it's not like we're all like, you know, please tell us we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle this. Could you please, you know, we need guidance. But, you know, that's clearly, you know, it and you know, maybe to them it's it's important. But again, I think we're being dist- I feel like to some extent it's a distraction, you know, and yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's, I think it's can be a, is, is it I possible? Greg. I was going to say, I think what can be a good reminder sometimes is that like when I encounter, like, and I myself get this and I get worked up or like I start experiencing other people's trauma as my own in that way and like how they've been treating their denomination. I remind myself like, actually, like my, I had a priest who is okay calling me gay. I've had a priest remove a openly homophobic individual from the parish because of how he interacted with me. And so like, I personally have had, I've never had a sermon that was preached kind of against the gays. Like, and so I, like when I look outside kind of at like denominational statements or like even just like drama that comes up on Orthodox Twitter and the internet and things like that, like, okay, like what is my, what has actually been my lived experience and what is necessary for me and has any of this actually harmed or impacted my ability to go to church, worship, experience the presence of God in that space? And for myself personally, that, that answer has been no. And so I think sometimes I have to like remind myself and others that like, okay, like, but, but has your actual parish experience, has your actual like pastor said these things to you? Have they reflected this? Yeah. And I think to acknowledge though, where sometimes it can be hard is that Will your pastor be investigated by the denomination if they have you on staff? Like right. things like that. And so these statements do have ramifications in those regards, um, but not always. And sometimes it right. is just, just kind of live your life, do your thing, and your pastor yeah. probably will as well. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is unhealthy, but. I don't know. I get more worked up about other, you know, other people in say other PCA churches, you know, when someone, when a pastor writes something that seems a little nuts to yeah. me 
And I'm like, oh dear, you know, and it says, you know, senior pastor of blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, what about the kids in that church? You know, that, I mean, or what about, you know, and so it's, so it's like on the one hand, yeah, it's, it's important for me to, you know, recognize that my own situation uh, is not, um, you know, my church is pretty good. And also I'm not, I'm not in a difficult situation, right? I'm not particularly vulnerable to anything. You know, I'm, I'm 42. I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. Um, Which gives you space then to have a voice and to like impact these other spaces because you can do that from right. a place of safety in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. Ah, you know, when I, but it's, yeah. It's hard. It's hard because, like, I even was trying. I've been trying to find a denom like a local church of my denomination that I can go to, and it's been really hard because, like, I went to one, uh, and like my my denomination has good churches, but in my area, a lot of churches are either in another language that I don't speak because my my denomination is very immigrant community based, and or um or. <laughs> They're very problematic. Like I went to one and I tried out the service and then the service ended up making like four references to trans people in like a culture war situation. And I was like, okay, all right. Whew, whew. Wow. What am I, you, you know? And it's hard because for me, it was like one of those things where I worried about the kids in that church. Like I was like, okay, I ain't going here, but like, I feel bad. And you know, Brandon, that leads me to a question I have specifically for you as we, I have a few more questions just specifically for each person. Like I, as evangelical, evangelical, you know, charismatic, this kind of thing. Um, I don't have statistical work on this. This is just like my experience. So feel free to push back on this. But I, I feel sometimes like it looks like the charismatic theology. Sometimes you see ex-gay popping up more there, especially because of the understanding of miracles and healings and these yep. kind of things. Um, like what then you, then you see in other traditions. Um, and then, you know, as you said, sometimes it's like, well, it might be a person that I'm not connected to, but as someone who's gone through conversion therapy, I go, what about the kids in that church? Mm -hmm. Like, what is, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you feel like in the evangelical, especially the charismatic side of the evangelical church, we can take steps to counteract that? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, um, it's a really unfortunate situation, you know, that we create false choices, false dichotomies, you know, and you know, for me, that isn't XX gay or whatever that is, or whatever, you know, that let's be healed of this whole thing, you know, um, in the way in which someone defined what healing looked like for me, right? But the Lord defined healing for me, right? And yeah. that's why I say like, there is, there is healing. And then there's also like, you know, the suffering and the beauty of the suffering and the fellowship of the sufferings of the cross, you know, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy suffering complicated person you know and people ask well how are, how are you doing i'm like i'm pleasantly complicated you know like that's that's the <laughs> the thing about it i love it i'm just over here just trying to figure this mess out you know what i mean and you know there are a couple of things that i know well um uh, i don't know too much you know um but i know that when it comes right down to it i've run away from the lord and find myself coming back to him because my conversion is authentic because he did, because he did it. And so um, this whole movement going on, I think in this evangelical space, mostly like in this charismatic Pentecostal world, 
I think comes about more feverishly in in a non-denominational structure that is looking for meaning in its own identity, you know, as people, as 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 individuals. And I have no problem. I love signs. Mm-hmm. I love wonders. You know, but they're not God. You know, they're His hand, and not His face, kind of stuff, right? So, yeah. um, I, I I want the Lord, and if He wants to do a miracle, you know, I'll I'll be the first one there praying for it, ready to, you know, fast and pray and do it. You know, um, yeah. At the same time, you know, it's it's really up to, it's up to the Lord to really dictate what that looks like. So, but I think um, something that you that um, Joanna said earlier, this this whole thing about language, I think is is really revealing. You know, I think my own personal journey. I'm also, I'll be 40 this, this year, um, in July. Don't, don't let this coconut oil fool you. Um, <laughs> cause we be bathing in it, <laughs> trying to keep it tight. And I won't talk, tell you about the Botox I'm going through. I'm just kidding. I'm not doing Botox yet, but we are on the way. Um, <laughs> Keyword yet. I am on the way, <laughs> um, is I think that, you know, one of the main issues going on, I think in broad big C church, regardless of denomination, regardless of creed, is this issue of of identity that we've largely gotten culturally from practice and ritual, which I love ritual and I love liturgy and and as a as a charismatic I I volunteer freely and to my Anglican friends going and I've led worship in an Anglican church and participated in liturgy and it was wonderful and I and it was and it was great, you know. But my identity was rooted in like seeing the Lord in that at the time, right? Um, I wasn't using mm-hmm. these practices as a crutch. So I see the same thing in charismatic circles where we oftentimes use the worship movement, right? Not worship itself. We use worship like yeah. worship songs or worship experiences as the actual crutch. And then we use certain um, ways in which we talk about healing and talk about certain experiences, right? Like God will heal you of all of your afflictions, you know, and do all of this. And, and we very choosy, right, about um, uh, that, that, that type of affirmation, you know, that gets people to focus um, uh, very narrowly, you know, uh, on who God is and what he can do for you, right? It's, it's prosperity gospel in its own way, right? You know, that isn't about your mm-hmm. finances, but it's about, oh, you're gay. Well, guess what? God can fix that for you. God can fix he it. He can do, yeah. fix it, Jesus. Like you said, you would. That's what we said back in the South. Fix it, Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he Yeah. But yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's like there isn't anything wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if I speak shalom over you, the Lord speaks shalom over me and give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's like, there's nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken. This is shalom, you know? And mm. my identity then is in what the Lord speaks over me. Right. So my own trauma coming out of all of this actually is mitigated by just the Lord just coming one day and just saying, and, and I'm and being mentored in this. It wasn't like this heavenly thing. It was a hard thing yeah. where he would, where, where he sent people who were seasoned and sage who have no idea about this experience with the message of the of like being exchanged like my life being exchanged for christ's life and my identity is rooted in him and now i have a filter through which to understand my experience or to wrestle with with god doctrinally and experientially how i'm supposed to live my life that is not based on what some charismatic pastor 
God bless them, love them to pieces. Some of them, they're like my, they're my, they're, 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 they're my people and I, and, and I love them. But now I'm old mm -hmm. and I'm dying and I just go, I don't really care <laughs> as, as much as yeah. used to about your short-sighted understanding about what this, about what this stuff is, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, the reason why it's short-sighted is, is because largely we don't, um, our leaders are struggling in their own identities in other ways. And because they're struggling in their identities, they aren't inviting, to, they, they are not, they are not deliberately inviting diverse experiences where we can wrestle with the nuances, right? And then of our experiences. Of our own experiences. And see yeah. that, that that there's room in what you would call um, just straight up biblical, but there's extra biblical. We are trying to extrapolate meaning from from things and people are then trying to apply and and um, and suppress and oppress you with certain meanings that make them mm -hmm. feel better about their own lived experiences. And that is not that is a problem. But yeah, I love you. I mean, you know, whatever. I got to be free, but I'm 40. So I'm free now, you know, <laughs> exactly. and I make my own money and no one. So you're right. Like I, you have to worry about the like kids, right. You know, who are in, in college or in high school or whatever and don't and are trapped in their parents' homes or, you know, in high schools or, 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 or in their churches. Right. You know, and I don't mean trapped in like a bad way, but like they just don't have the resources to go out and get other resources, you know, to help them navigate yeah. in a way that's helpful for them. So that's the infuriating, you know, part of I, yeah, I totally agree. And actually, you know, Joanna, when you spoke your pre, your spiritual friendships talk at the first revoice, um, I love one thing you said there, and I'm not going to quote it correctly, but you said something about like, um, ultimately, sometimes like we, we're not saying that God can't do everything, but that sometimes we have to look at how God is working within the majority of experiences. And there's something to be said, and 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 so I'd love if there was something more you had on that, like, but like I love how um, it's like God could turn me into a wombat if He really wanted to. He could. He can do anything. I believe He can do anything. But like, there is something to be understood how God works in the majority of cases, and He's not doing it. He's not changing us. He's not, and that's okay. God seems to be fine with that. You know, um, that doesn't mean he's not able to do what he wants, but he works in really weird ways sometimes. Mm, and, say it. and he sees the glory in that. Go ahead. So many of us, right? So many people went through Exodus, even outside of that. So many people have gone to counselors. So many people have prayed every prayer they could think of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we've tried, so many of us have tried uh and so and yeah i i would never put a boundary over what god can do and as i think i said in the talk you know it's possible yeah. we're all just doing it wrong you know and god <laughs> is standing there stamping his you know tapping his foot like come on you know and will they say the magic words so i can make them straight you know yeah. maybe that's happening but you know overall the conclusion that i have to draw is yeah and, yeah. and I think we have to take that into account, you know, when we mm -hmm. talk about what to expect and what to look for, because, you know, I've, I've seen it in my own life and other people's that we, we, we do, we ignore and overlook how God is growing us, how God is changing us, you know, how God is, is making us more like Jesus because, you know, we are so hung up 
you know, I think for us personally, right, we're like, well, this is the one thing that would make my life easier. or This is the one thing that I wouldn't be weird, you know, I'd, or at least I'd be less weird than I am, mm -hmm. you know, I'd be, you know, more normal, more fit in. Um, you know, we fixate on this one thing and we miss so much of what God's doing. And That's so good. It, yeah. it just makes me sad. Yeah, it's true because God is doing so many other beautiful things in our lives and those shouldn't be missed, you know, absolutely. To to move into a little bit more because I have a few more questions to get, but I don't want to hold you guys up too much, too much longer. Um, <laughs> really quickly, Greg, um, a question I have for you is, um, you know, I know, you know, you and I, we're great friends. Love you. You are someone I love so dearly. Um, and I know you have very extremely close relationships with a lot of side A people. Um, how do you deal with that within your walk of of orthodox, the Orthodox Church and reconciling, you know, your friendships with and maybe not with side A, with non-Christian LGBT? Like, how do you yeah. go through all of that? I don't always know. Like, to be fair, it's like, <laughs> I mean, like, it's I, I want to be careful before I say anything because I, I don't want to imply that I have like some sketched out formula which is like how I've approached all these relationships and they all fit very cleanly and neatly into like these very carefully constructed yeah. boxes and templates for what that relationship looks like um because well, we're not I mean friendship is not that way like we become I, I no. I'm not trying to answer for you but I'm like <laughs> friendship is friendship and organic and we're not there with cords of how do I reconcile my friendship yeah. with this person but yeah, yeah. I think for me, maybe, yeah, I think years ago around Belgao and I were having a conversation and he, for a while, I don't know if he's used it recently, but for a while he liked to talk about kind of sometimes side A, side B stuff kind of in an ecumenical framework, which I think has like its flaws and other issues sometimes. But like in general, for me, like as somebody who has largely existed as an Orthodox person in non-Orthodox spaces, like I, like from an Orthodox framework, you can make the argument with certain father, like writers and elder, like the big theologians of church history, that basically like anybody who's in a denomination that does not practice or is not Orthodox or doesn't have the Orthodox or like the the teaching of like the real presence in the Eucharist, something like that. But that is by some Orthodox writers that is seen as like such a core aspect of a relationship with God that like you can't really get into heaven if you haven't actually received the body and blood of Christ um, in communion and Eucharist. Um, and that's one of those things where like I I don't I don't personally believe that. Um, and that's by no means kind of like a universal teaching. There, there's definitely disagreement in the Orthodox Church. But I think something like that for me though illustrates the fact that like none of, like the vast majority of all of my friends by that standard would not be going to heaven in that sense. And so like, if I wanna set the bar high and like, if I want to within my tradition, I can do that. I can put it really high where I can basically exclude almost everybody else um for context within my tradition there's also theologians who basically set the bar as low as possible and that the bar should be like mm -hmm. under yourself and if you're the greatest of sinners and therefore like it's like almost universalism so like both contrasts exist in the orthodox tradition but i think for me like that 
like, okay, like, no, at the end of the day, like, I have lots of friends who are dear friends who are Calvinists. I am absolutely not a Calvinist. Um, the Orthodox Church, like, has a very different view of justification um, than a lot of kind of the more Western churches. And so for me, I approach a lot of kind of the side A side B conversation through that ecumenical framework. Like that mm -hmm. there's already so many other points of theological difference that disagreeing on the genders required for the sacrament of marriage, which is maybe reductionistic, but like for me, like you can phrase it that way, that that is not necessarily even the biggest theological disagreement between me and a side A Protestant friend. Yeah. Um, I will say that within my own tradition, within the ortho, I, almost all of my, all almost all of my side A friends are not Orthodox. Um, most of them, yeah. Um, the friends that I do have who are side A and who are Orthodox, in most cases, um, they we met as side B, and that they've kind of transitioned, and there it's a struggle for me, honestly. Uh, in a way that it isn't when my friends are in other denominations or mm -hmm. are actively involved in churches that are affirming. Um, that has its own struggles. But for me, like having fellow Orthodox people who are actively involved in the life of their church, who are in an open, intimate relationship with somebody of the same gender, I struggle with that. I don't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, I would say like my own faith sometimes is not always like, the strongest. And so like, if it would be really difficult for me to be in a church where you could be kind of in good standing with the church and still have like an, a gay romantic sexual relationship. Um, because that is part of why I, because I am in the Orthodox church and the Orthodox church does hold to more historical traditional ethic in that regards. Like, it would be really difficult for me to be in that place. And so I do know that there are Orthodox churches and Orthodox priests who are quietly affirming and who actively will commune uh, gay couples. And I struggle with that. I don't, I'm not actively like trolling them on the internet or like reporting them. Like, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm correct. No, I mean, but, nah, but it, it is a struggle to know, like for me, like if I like, would I want to, if I knew that so-and-so Father Cosmati at St. Basil down the street, one of those is real, one of those is not real. Um, but like, if I, if I went there, like, and I could have my boyfriend and be in a sexual relationship and it didn't impact kind of my experience within the church, that that's difficult to say that I would like say no to that. I mean, I, I am and I do. And so I want to caveat like the whole side B, side A friendship thing, because it, it is a lot more difficult when it does kind of come within kind of the Orthodox space. Yeah. But I don't know. If well, that's and I guess that makes sense a little bit. Like, I guess it makes a little bit more sense because this is where a little bit of the faith tradition differences come into mm -hmm. play. Like as an evangelical, whatever, as we've talked about, like, like yeah. the Nashville statement, okay, cool. Y'all thought that, whatever. Yeah. I don't yeah. care. Bye. Like, <laughs> like my faith don't don't like I can because I think the Protestant like sure. especially like evangelical idea is so much based on your own reading of the scripture mm -hmm. and what church leaders say does not change what you 
people yeah. like believe whereas in the catholic and orthodox traditions that that church mm -hmm. teaching holds much more weight upon than how you live out your faith mm -hmm. i mean so i understand that that obviously within the orthodox church it would be a lot bigger thing about side a per relationship yeah. within the orthodox church versus a protestant person yeah and I like want to humbly acknowledge that like if the Orthodox Church had a big council and got together next week and they decided that gay marriage was perfectly fine and acceptable, which will never happen in a million years because the church is a mess in some ways, it would never be that organized. Literally, it would just never even get on the agenda. True story. <laughs> There's a big Orthodox council a couple of years ago that was supposed to take place in Crete. And Russia decided to put all these rules into place and they all agreed on these like universal rules for how they would like make statements. And then Russia at the last minute backed out because they disagreed on the own rules that they created. Um, it was really sad. Like, so it derailed the whole, anyways. So That's like, great. we're very oh, So we'd never be that organized. But yeah, but oh, like okay. if an Orthodox denominational statement came out that affirmed gay yeah. marriage, like I would hope that I would be a dissenting voice, but I don't always know. Yeah. So good. All right. Final question, Joanna. Um, I'd love to ask you as you know, again, kind of going back to the PCA, which is a denomination that whether we like it or not is so tied to this side B community. I don't know how, I don't know what was in the PCA water, but there is somehow so many PCA gay people. It's, we all networked at Covenant. No, I'm just kidding. We all, <laughs> they all went Covenant. <laughs> all went to Covenant. Um, yep. so, so obviously related to that, what do you see as opportunities, both for you individually as well as others, to minister or advise your denomination, whether formally, informally, on behalf of sexual minorities? So... In terms of personal experience so far, the informal local individual level uh, has been great. There's been lots of opportunities. Uh, I've gotten lots of, you know, pastors and leaders uh, in my denomination reaching out and, you know, wanting to talk or having seen a talk or read something. Um, you know, interested in learning more. Um, and that's obviously, you know, really encouraging and, and really exciting mm -hmm. for me. Um, on a more formal, higher national level, uh, I'm not at liberty to go into detail, but I will say yeah. it has been much less encouraging <laughs> an experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think with the PCA, there's a really difficult question that, that I'm going through right now and that a lot of us are, I, I think any side B person or, you know, gay, same-sex attracted Christ Christian person with a traditional sexual ethic in the PCA is going through is, you know, I, I personally feel these sort of dual callings. You know, I want to encourage and exhort, uh, you know, my gay Christian siblings, you know, yeah. I, I, I like doing that. Uh, I want to keep doing that. Um, at the same time, I, I would also like to be able to to speak into more church 
more church stuff. Um, but it's, it sometimes feels like those things are intention. You know, I feel like sometimes mm -hmm. the best way to get more opportunities in the PCA would to be more acceptable and safe, you know, which yeah. would, you know, not say that not, which would mean not saying the things I feel desperately need to be said. And, yeah. you know, that, that I feel are often important for people like us to hear. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a real tug of war that I know I'm going through. I know others are going through. Um, I feel that in my know, own denomination. I you totally know, get it. You know, yeah. on the one hand, you want to work with you want to work with the church you want to bring them along you know mm -hmm. you want for the sake of everybody you know in mm -hmm. the kids the older people everybody you want them to learn from from what you've experienced and what you've been through and not that you're like this authority up here and they need to sit meekly at your feet but you know you'd like to at least have them open to listening and, and in conversation so we could be edifying each other. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like in order to, to be useful to one group, you'd have to be useless to the other. I mean, I know that's yeah. an exaggeration, but it feels that way. So mm -hmm. that that's hard. I yeah. don't have it figured out. <laughs> if anybody does, they should when you me. do, please <laughs> let me know. I would love it. I would love the pointers. <laughs> uh, well, thank you thank you all of you for um joining on this this has been a really good talk i know this is not the last time we'll have each of you on this podcast so be prepared for me to ask you back on and if you're do willing your audience to audience research do your audience research because you don't know they may not want us back <laughs> really <laughs> do your audience research all right we will we will let us That's know y'all <laughs> everyone Follow us on Twitter. Let us know on Twitter. Let us know whether you want these three back or not. <laughs> in our in our Patreon Discord community, let us know in there. Oh gosh, um, all three of you. Where can people follow you? Follow your work, what you're doing. Keep up with things gay related, non gay related. Brandon, where can people follow you and find your stuff? Uh, people can find me at www.arrowheadadvising.com and you can probably find my socials there, but uh, Facebook, Brandon Polk, uh, Instagram, Brandon S. Polk, I think, something like that. Sweet. Brandon, D-E-N, not D-O-N. You will not find me with a D-O. Good, -E. Good point. Good <laughs> point. Joanna? Hi. Um, yeah, so I haven't, haven't been particularly active, particularly recently, though I'm hoping to change that. Uh, I have... A website at www.johannafinnegan.com and I'm on Twitter uh, but don't do much with it but again it's at Johanna Finnegan so pretty simple great. great awesome well we are excited to see whatever work stuff you have coming up <laughs> can't wait Mr. Greg Webb Google, Greg with two G's on the end web with two B's on the end I usually am the first result for most places I um, that's how you should say your name at all times, Greg. Well, that is how you say your name. Greg Webber. Greg with two Bs. Greg with two Gs, Web with two Bs. Okay, take it back. Wait, no, Google's just auto-correcting to Greg with one G. Yep, nope, literally, yep. Oh, Twitter, go. Google Facebook, and Instagram, yep. Wow. Dude. Google them with the double letters. Because Google said uh, LinkedIn was number two. Anyways, they're all me. Okay. Uh, you don't need that in. SEO. You don't need that SEO. Help. Yeah. Very good. Greg also does some great photography, y'all. Yes, you should follow his photography on Instagram. Photography. Thank you. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. 
yes. Uh, thank you everyone for, for listening or watching if you're on YouTube. Um, if you love this, if you love this podcast, please subscribe where you listen to. Give us a review. Reviews help other people find us. Um, there have been many, many people who have literally never heard of Side B, never heard of being able to walk this out in this way till they found this podcast. So by reviewing, by subscribing, that bumps the podcast up, helps other people find it. Um, please do that. If you love the podcast, go over, become a patron. That helps us be able to do more of this stuff. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you three for being on here. This has been lovely. Thank um, you. Really appreciate it. Thank Thanks you so much right. for having me. We'll talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, Josh.